I have to disagree pretty strongly with the assertion that Daniel made when he started about uh, yesterday's games and how they weren't good. I, I can't imagine anything going better. I thought it was a glorious day. Uh, few things could have improved it. But that just shows you how the same events, it's a matter of perspective how you interpret them, I suppose. Today is certainly a glorious day. It's the Lord's Day. We're glad that you're here, and I hope we can all leave here saying like they did of old, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. If you have your Bible this morning, you might want to open it up to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we'll find the text we want to explore together for a few moments. Many of us probably remember going to vacation Bible school as children. Or maybe you can think back to taking your own children to vacation Bible school. Uh, some of you in here brought your kids to VBS this year, just a couple of months ago we had it here at this congregation. When I think about VBS, one of the primary things that I think about is the songs. Now most of these, when you're a kid, are pretty fun to sing, but they're pretty light on the instructional content. I, I think of the song that's probably my favorite, Father Abraham. That's basically just the, the hokey pokey, you know, right arm, left arm, with a, a few allusions to the patriarch thrown in there for good measure. I, I actually think there's a video of me leading that on Facebook if anybody wants a good laugh. I think of other songs that we sing sometimes. Uh, the Booster song, that's a good one. What I primarily learned from that as a child was to change don't be grouchy like a rooster to don't be grouchy like a preacher. Uh, that's accurate, by the way. It's pretty well on point. But one exception to that is the song that we sing about the wise man who built his house on the rock. That's a song that's not only strong on its teaching component, it comes straight out of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This parable marks the close of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been preaching to an attentive crowd, and they've listened there, keenly focused, as he's gone through what we consider really to be the heart of Christ's teachings. The Beatitudes, his authoritative interpretation of the law, his model prayer, his admonition to trust God and to seek his kingdom first, his pronouncement of the golden rule. But now he comes to the close and he tells them, and by extension he tells us, that it's not enough just to listen to it. It's not enough even to listen attentively with appreciation for his insight. It's not enough just to listen with our emotions stirred. 
What matters is our response, our actions. We must hear, and then we must obey. We have to put these things into practice. To reinforce that truth, Jesus tells this story of the two builders. And I want us to consider together for a few minutes what this parable has to say to us this morning. First of all, note, everyone who hears him is a builder. All who hear him are builders. Now, actually, we're building whether we hear him or not. But in the parable, he's focused on hearers specifically, so we'll direct our attention there. All who hear him are builders, and he divides those hearers into two classes. There are wise builders, and there are foolish builders. Jesus makes this exclusive sort of division, and that's not the type of thing that we like to hear too often today. It's so, it's so judgmental. It's so divisive. But this is typical of Jesus. There are those who travel the narrow way, and there are those who travel the broad way. There are those guests who are prepared for the wedding feast, and there are those who are unprepared. There's the tree that brings forth good fruit, and there's the tree that's dead and withered. Jesus makes those sorts of distinctions, and he makes them constantly. The wise man is a builder. He's constructing something. He's building his character. He's building the temple in which he'll spend eternity. The foolish man, too, is building. He's constructing something. He's building the temple, or the shack, or the sty, in which he'll spend eternity. This is true of all of us, good or bad, rich or poor, cultured or unsophisticated, old or young, it doesn't matter. We are all building, all of the time, whether wisely or foolishly. We're building in everything that we do, consciously or unconsciously. We're building everywhere that we are, not just here when we're assembled together. Wouldn't it be great if this was the only time that we were building? Not just when we're on our knees in prayer to God. We're building in the workplace. We're building at school. We're building in our homes with our families. We're building when we're at play. Everywhere and all the time. Every thought that we think, every word that we speak, every ambition that we cherish, all of those things go into the building that we're constructing. And when we think about that, we realize that if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we are putting some really shoddy materials into our building. We're using materials that won't be able to stand up to the test of the storm. Those careless words that we let slip from our lips in frustration. 
that time when we felt pressure to go along with the crowd to do things that we knew weren't right? When we held our fist clenched tight, held onto our money in the face of some urgent need? When we heard someone crying out for help one way or another and we just passed by on the other side because we couldn't be bothered with that. All of us are guilty of putting some pretty flimsy, rotten stuff into our buildings. But I don't want us to think the picture's all dismal because some people are building some magnificent structures. I just think of some examples from Scripture. That was quality material that the widow put in her building when she put her two mites into the temple treasury. Or that was grade A lumber that Daniel selected when he refused to defile himself by eating the unclean food at the king's table. That was substantial stuff that Joseph chose for his house when he decided that he would put himself at risk and he wouldn't give in to temptation even though he ended up being imprisoned for that. See, when we seek God and we seek His will, those are the things that we need to be trying to put into our buildings. Now, we recognize none of us, this goes for all of us, none of us is going to select the best material all the time. We know that's true. But what we need to keep in mind is that this is a project this isn't just a, a haphazard collection of, you know, bricks here and a little mortar there and some uh, lumber here and a few nails there and some screws over here. We're constructing something. So we need to ask ourselves, what's the pattern? What's the blueprint that we're working with, so to speak, if we carry the analogy that far? What's the overall pattern of our lives? In either case, whether wisely or whether foolishly, we are all building. Second thing to note from this parable, we are all building. And Jesus brings to our attention that the building we construct will be tested. We can't just build for fair weather only. You know, if you're building a house here in Liberty, you have to prepare for rain, don't you? It's raining today. You have to prepare for floods, for hurricanes, for tornadoes, for a hundred degree heat on some days, and for the occasional freeze, too. In our lives, we can't build as if every day is going to be 68 degrees and sunny with a nice gentle breeze. We have to be prepared for inclement weather, too. Jesus makes clear here that this is the case whether we build wisely or we build foolishly. That is, the wise man isn't exempt from the storm just because he builds on the rock, any more than the foolish man is exempt because he builds on the sand. The storm is going to come upon all of us. That's a mistake that a lot of people make in their view of God, thinking that serving Him is going to exempt them from any sort of trouble. It's the same mistake that Job and his three friends made way back in the book of Job, thinking that because you serve God, he's going to bless you without any sort of exception. He's going to hedge you in and protect you from anything that goes wrong. But God doesn't coddle his people. I think of Jesus' prayer, John chapter 17, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, 
but I ask that you keep them from the evil one. We're not promised that we'll escape, escape the tempest. We're promised that we'll have the strength to withstand it. Now, we all recognize when we're talking about our, our physical structures or we're talking about material goods that we need to make this sort of preparation for bad weather. You think even of your clothing. You don't want clothing that if it gets wet, it's going to shrink or it's going to fade or become discolored. You want it to be able to withstand the rain. I have a, a seersucker suit. I've worn it up here a couple of times, and I, I know that some of you have seen it because the last time I wore it, somebody compared me to Matlock. But they make better, stronger, more resilient materials today. If you were wearing a seersucker suit a hundred or so years ago when men first started wearing suits made out of it and you got wet, if it rained on you, it was over. Your sleeves would be up to your elbows and your pants would be up to your knees. You're never going to wear that thing again. We definitely recognize the importance of that in our physical structures and building buildings. I think of the roof of the Metrodome stadium where the Vikings and the Twins played for several years. Some of you will probably remember that because of heavy snowfall, the roof of the Metrodome collapsed in 2010 and the Vikings had to postpone a game that was played there. Now, it was a, a lot of snowfall that came down, 17 inches in one weekend. But 17 inches in a weekend isn't unprecedented for Minneapolis. And that wasn't even the only time that the roof caved in due to snow. Four times in 28 years, the roof of the Metrodome collapsed because of heavy snow. Now, I'm no structural engineer, but that seems like a pretty poor record for something that should be easily foreseen in Minnesota. You're going to have snow. The roof should probably be able to hold up to that. And there's a reason why their new stadium that opened just a few years ago, the roof is undergirded with steel instead of just being what the Metrodome was, which was, I kid you not, essentially a glorified trash bag that was held up with air. That building wasn't constructed to withstand the storm. Jesus tells us, frankly, that the storm is coming. And we know that's true because we've all experienced it ourselves. And we'll experience it again. Now, it comes on us at different times and in different ways. Sometimes it may come on us in the form of a great temptation, some inducement that we have to go and to do evil. There's a reason that the Lord's Prayer contains the petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because we all face temptation. Jesus himself faced it. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted in every way, in all points, like as we are. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We all need to be praying that prayer from time to time, really every day, because all of us can be led into that storm of temptation. We can be overwhelmed without the strength to withstand it. Sometimes it comes on us in the form of some bitter personal loss. That could apply in a few different ways. Maybe it's a financial setback. Maybe we lose our jobs 
or we lose our savings. We go from plenty to poverty. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Now suddenly we're feeling the keen sense of absence without them around us anymore. Maybe it's the loss of our physical health as we face some terrible, debilitating disease. Maybe we're like Job. Maybe we face all three of those things at once. Job lost his wealth, he lost his family, and his own physical health was struck. Are we able to withstand that? Job says, Job chapter 13 and verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Do we have that same sort of faith, that resiliency to trust in God in the midst of the storm? Is our house built that strongly? Or maybe it's something else altogether. Maybe it's the opposite. The storm doesn't sweep anything away, but it comes sweeping things into our lives. We might not think of that typically as a danger we face in the storm, but the Israelites encountered this sort of obstacle in the wilderness. They got exactly what they wanted. Do you remember this story? They were complaining about the fact that all they had to eat was manna. They wanted some meat. And God said, all right, if you want some meat, I'll give you some meat. And he gave them delicious quail. But those days of relative luxury weren't their best days. They were days of plague and pestilence. They ate quail not for a day, not for two days, not for three days, not for a week. They ate it for a whole month until it says they became so sick of it, it was so loathsome to them, it came out of their nostrils. It literally says that they were waist deep in quail when they went out to try to pick it up off the ground. And the place where that happened became a graveyard, fittingly known as the Graves of Craving. We might not think of abundance of prosperity as a test, but I suggest to you that's one of the greatest tests we face in our modern society. Our spiritual growth lags far behind our material growth. We're so concerned with things and so unconcerned with the things of God. We allow our pursuit of money, of possessions, of success in the workplace to all crowd out our focus on the kingdom of God rather than seeking it first. We haven't learned Jesus' lesson that our life doesn't consist of the abundance of our possessions. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Ultimately, we will, all of us, face the test of judgment. That goes for all of us, whether we built wisely or whether we built foolishly. Every one of us is headed toward that hour of testing. It's as certain as the fact of life. It's as certain as the fact of death. It is as certain as the existence of God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Apostle Paul says. How important is it then that we all build wisely and we build well so that we can be certain to pass that test? And that brings us to the final thing to note from this parable. 
we've seen that all of those of us who here are builders, we've seen that our building will be tested. But what we find in the end is that not all of us will pass the test. Some aren't going to be able to endure. That goes for everyone who doesn't construct their building on Christ. That's a bold statement. That's an exclusive statement. That's the kind of statement that we cringe at these days. But Jesus makes it without any sort of apology. He says, if you don't build your house on me, it will not stand the storm. It'll go splat, as we sing in the children's song. It will be reduced to rubble, to ruin. It'll be swept away. There'll be nothing left. But on the other hand, there are those who will endure the storm. Those who will ride out every storm, in fact. That's those who've built their house on the rock, on Jesus Christ. It'll be written here and hereafter. It did not fall. Ravi Zacharias, the well-known Christian apologist, talks about a lecture that he gave at one point at the Ohio State University. And he was passing by a building that was new then, the Wexner Arts Center. And his guide who was taking him around pointed it out, as you can see, and he said, this is a new art building for the university. It's a fascinating building designed in the postmodernist view of reality. Zacharias described the building. You get an idea of it there. He said, the building has no pattern. Staircases go nowhere. Pillars support nothing. The architect designed the building to reflect life. It went nowhere and was mindless and senseless. Zacharias asked the man, did they do the same thing with the foundation? The man laughed. He said, you can't do that with a foundation. Precisely. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid. Jesus Christ. What are you building this morning? What are you building on? If you're not building your house on Christ, I want to invite you, friend, to Make the decision to start building there today. Put your faith, your trust in Him. Turn to God in repentance and confess that Jesus is Lord. Be buried with Him in baptism. Have your sins washed away. Be added to His people. Embark on that life of building for Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a Christian, but though you decided at one point to build on Christ, you've been building a, a shoddy structure. You haven't put the materials into it at all times that you ought. You need to make changes today in a public way. If you have any need at all this morning, if we can help you in any way, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.